Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. And you're listening to the DCAU Review, hosted by Cal and Liam, streaming at dcaureview.com and on your favorite podcast app. Welcome, everybody, to another bonus episode of the DCAU Review. I am one of your hosts, and with me, our other host, my good friend, good brother, the man that runs our Twitter account. That's right. It's Liam. Liam, it is a big week for us here at the DCAU Review. Not only are we celebrating our 200th episode in our uh, in our standard run of episodes here, but hey, uh, I don't know if you've heard, but there was a little movie that was released uh, just this weekend, and uh, it's got, got a little bit to do with our general topic here of what we talk about on this program. Welcome to the next bonus episode of the DCAU Review. That's right. We're talking about that Channing Tatum dog movie <laughs> for the next 90 minutes. Strap in, folks. Uh, <laughs> Your hottest yes. takes on Channing Tatum as a leading man opposite of a dog. That's right. Love Does it. The, is the dog a better actor? <laughs> this is, these are the questions we're going to answer. Just kidding. That's Does a this little fit Riddler into trick. the magic mic world? <laughs> universe <laughs> oh man but no this has all been a, a clever riddler ruse that we've pulled on you we're actually gonna be talking about the batman movie that came out this week um i mean we'll just i think it's in the thumbnail and uh we it's certainly in the description but we're, we'll just rip that band-aid off here there are going to be spoilers so if you have not seen the movie yet and you not want to know what happens and again we're not gonna like recap the movie scene by scene or anything like that but uh, if you want to know, you know, virtually nothing beyond what you've seen, maybe in a trailer, uh, this you should probably hit pause and wait until you've seen the movie to come back to this guy. But for those of us who did manage to score a, uh, a screening of it over this opening weekend, uh, let's go ahead and dig in, Cal. Yeah, I, I'd say uh, I guess we can start off by saying you are fresh off of within the last uh, last hour or so seeing mm-hmm. your first viewing of it. Uh, I actually saw it for the second time today. Uh, I saw it on Thursday evening in here and then uh, saw it again today. So I've seen it uh, on two, got to blessed to be able to see it on two viewings. So uh, I will, I will defer to you at first to what was your, what's your, what's your take? What did you like? What did you not like overall thought thoughts of, uh, of everything you can pick apart everything from plot to <laughs> Battinson to, uh, to, 
an an unrecognizable character actor in in the form of uh, in the form of the penguin. I I don't know, <laughs> just all kinds of things to talk about. So it's it's your uh, it's a buffet. So select what you'd like. <laughs> yeah, um, I think my my first thoughts coming out of it is that. Um, and we can get into more specifics as we, as we move on, go back and forth here. But overall, I think the best part of it is just the aesthetic of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gotham city feels like just this really grimy, awful place, mm-hmm. um, where, you know, where good people die and, and, you know, the, the worst, the worst people in that you can imagine are, are the ones pulling the strings and it's, it feels feels like they captured something in a way that I don't necessarily feel the Nolan movies. And to be fair, they didn't really try that hard. I mean, they, they certainly, you know, established the idea of organized crime and, and certain government officials being in with the mob and all that. But I, I just, I feel like this movie really sets up almost from the first moments, but certainly throughout the, the nearly three hour runtime. Um, just this city is such a, like just an open wound. Like it's so, it's so broken. And that's obviously a theme of the movie as, as we get into the later half of the movie. But it's just like it, it did when you open that movie the way they open it, you can kind of feel like, yeah, I can see why this city would get so bad that like one guy would go, yeah, I'm going to dress up as a <laughs> as yeah, a bat yeah. and try to and try to punch criminals to make the city a better place. And I don't necessarily know that too many other Batman movies have really captured that in like a semi, I hate to use the word realistic because I wouldn't call this movie realistic, Sure, but for lack of a better term, it just, it really, you really feel like that sense of hopelessness throughout a lot of it, which is then sort of brought together when Batman and some of his allies do kind of make a stand and maybe begin to turn the tide and we see good people start to rise up towards the, the latter half of the movie where it, it does feel like, okay, maybe, maybe he can bring it all back, but it's just, they really, I think they really just drop you in the middle of just, it's just really dripping with just like despair and and grime and it's just a really dirty looking city in a way that they're like yeah this feels like a uh, a really accurate version of maybe what you would picture gotham city to look like if it was you know something resembling an actual city yeah yeah i, I don't disagree with that um i think i think you're spot on with that i do appreciate you know there's a lot of points in the movie that are that are taken from batman the long halloween um, mm-hmm. You know, that was cited uh, by by the director, Mr. Reeves, as a as a uh, definitely a, a point of influence for for writing the movie. So there's a lot of that organized crime pulling the strings feel that we talked about, actually, which you can check out. We actually reviewed the animated version of the long Halloween uh, mm-hmm. last Halloween just a few months ago. So a lot of those points I felt like were very fresh in my mind. And I, I think that, that they did do a good job of translating that. I, I agree with you. I think that typically, um, you know, it feels like maybe with the exception of uh, Batman Begins, that you have to have this sort of cartoony aspect of the supervillain to, mm-hmm. to step in and be the main antagonist. And while obviously the Riddler is an antagonist in this, he's truly sort of a side character for 
most of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, he, you know, the the real villains being revealed as the people that are in charge of the the, pol- the politicians themselves, and then of course the the forces moving, working behind the politicians being revealed as part of the aspect of the villains, and then having this additional prong of the insane uh, person that is uh, attempting to uh, take what he believes to be a, a, a way of, of dealing with these people and serving vengeance, uh, to these people is, uh, is sort of the ultimate, uh, obviously we culminate with that, that, uh, realization, mm-hmm. but the fact that the mob and the, the mafia and the organized crime bosses are a, a big focal point of what's going on here. And Batman being, a detective to have to try and piece things together and find out and pull these strings. I think this is the first time uh, and it was done that way intentionally by Matt Reeves. And uh, he's mentioned that in several, several points is he wanted it to focus on Batman being a detective. And I thought that that was done so well. I think that there's so much uh, of the Batman detective that had mm-hmm. gone previously unexplored. We have, you know, Batman, the the, the creature that, you know, the, sort of the urban myth, which was kind of like the, I feel like the Batman 89 Batman. And then you have uh, the Nolan, Nolan Batman was sort of just like the, the symbol of hope, but also, um, you know, fighting against, <laughs> fighting against, uh, doing what he can to fight within the system in a way, but also simultaneously support that as Batman. So you, you have those aspects of Batman that way, but this was really the first time I felt like the detective was actually explored uh, intentionally. And I, it, mm-hmm. I feel like it was done to, to perfection. Did you, what did you like? Did you like the movie itself? I know we got yeah. into talking about the actual aesthetics and stuff. Some of the things we liked first, but how did you feel about the movie as a whole? Yeah, I, I liked it. Like I, I think it's a little, it's it's two hours and fifty five minutes long. It's a long movie. It is. Um, if and there were parts where it's and it is slow moving as far as you know. There are not a lot of action sequences throughout this movie. You get, I think, you get some good Batman action. Um, and I think what's funny about it is while I would one hundred percent say that the length is is maybe something resembling a problem for this movie there wasn't a lot where i was immediately like well this could be cut right you could have just not done this like it's because it's come together and i think that's something that also just comes from these stories these superhero stories i think that's why they lend themselves more to episodic storytelling Mm -hmm. um whether that's television whether that's cartoons whether that's comic books obviously you know, um, you know, where you can really kind of flesh out a lot of this world over 12 issues or over a, a season of a television show that if you only have X, you know, if three hours is the absolute longest you can make your movie, there's it's there's going to be stuff where you're like, it's all it's all pretty good. Like I said, as far as it's a lot of a lot of world building for for where Batman is in, you know, in, in at this point in his career, where a couple of years into him being Batman, he's sort of openly there's he sort of narrates the movie, not not constantly, but he you know, we do have this sort of inner monologue. Uh, We see him writing in a journal where he he talks about where he he wonders if he's making any sort of difference and and if there's you know, if there's any hope for this city. And so there's a lot of aspects of that I like. I like because that's, again, a very common thing. If you've read Batman comics, he very often has an internal monologue 
talking about that sort of thing of, right. you know, of, of why he's doing this, what he hopes to accomplish by doing it and what he feels about what's happening. So I really like them incorporating that. You already touched on it. I love the idea that you actually get to see him be a detective and work, you know, kind of hand in hand with Gordon and the rest of the police to puzzle out what these, what these clues the Riddler is leaving him mean. Like, I think there, there's a lot of really cool stuff in here. I like, uh, I really like Zoe Kravitz's Catwoman too. I think she's, great. she's, she's fantastic. Like as far as just like, nail again like i i keep coming back to the word aesthetic because i can't quite place my figure on it but like the this version of catwoman which again heavily borrows from the frank miller and uh jeff Loeb written comics um uh, of her as as this is probably the biggest spoiler i can think that i will drop they do acknowledge that she is carmine falcone's daughter in this and that's mm-hmm. kind of why she's 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 around and kind of mixed up in all of this along with a you know a friend of hers who who works at the the iceberg lounge also having gone missing so um like so i think she's really good there's a lot of stuff i love in it um i think the riddler as you kind of mentioned he's kind of an afterthought for a lot of this because the more interesting story here i think is is bruce wayne and batman sort of gripping with what his role in this city is going to be, you know, his family's history with the city and all of that feels. And I guess that is, maybe that's the point is that it, uh, I know Matt Reeves mentioned that Batman ego uh, by Darwin cook was a huge influence for him as well. And there's mm-hmm. multiple scenes of him sort of wrestling with his own, his own demons and, and, you know, as well as sort of you know, Selena dealing with her own. And there's sort of this, this cross paths where they are kind of two sides of the same coin and they, they both have moments in the movie where they almost go over that line. So yes. Oh, to, in, a, in the most long winded way possible to answer your, <laughs> your very simple question, Cal, I did like it. I think yeah. it's, it's worth seeing. There's a lot of cool Batman stuff from comics, from other animated shows, uh, the animated series uh, and, and things like that, that I think this draws on in ways that the previous movies either couldn't or didn't seem that interested in. Yeah. And I think that's what makes this worth seeing is to somehow in the year of our Lord, 2022, somebody had the idea of like, what could we do to take a fresh take on a live action Batman in a year where there will be three different live action Batman on screen. Right. (laughs) uh, On the movie screens. Uh, and it was, it's really is very much a back to basics of, of, you know, embracing that, that noir style of, of this man sort of grappling as much as he's grappling with the, you know, the penguins and Falcons and, and Riddlers of the world. It's, it's just as much a story about him sort of grappling with his own, you know, his own unhappiness, his own, you know, inability to see, you know, to see a, a happy ending for himself. And, and you see that sort of reflected in, in his conversations with alfred his conversations with selena and and even in this relationship that he has with gordon and he you know we see throughout the course of the movie he starts to sort of realize that he does have people that he cares about and that care about him and that he does have something to lose even if or we see at the start of the movie he's really kind of just thinking that this is he just kind of thinks of himself as a blunt blunt instrument it seems and then this this sort of wild, you know, murderous serial killer in, in the Riddler that keeps testing him and testing Gordon and, 
and you know, in, Alfred is is caught in sort of the crossfire of this, and and Selena as well. So you kind of you get to see him sort of start to establish, you know, why you know that that larger Batman role world, um, and I think that's probably what's the most exciting and interesting part of it. Yeah, um, I also really liked the movie. Um, even after a second second viewing, I feel like there is a lot of depth and a lot of storytelling that was done in this that I feel like maybe has been tried to be communicated before in live action Batman, but I never quite felt like it was done in a way that made sense on screen or that it was true. Mm -hmm. I think back to, and I love the Nolan films. I don't know anybody who doesn't really love the Nolan Nolan trilogy. Those are great movies. Um, But I think back to that scene where the Joker in that movie uh, is at the, t- the, t- the table with Batman in the interrogation room. And uh, I think it's that one, or maybe it's later on when he has him in the building, but he tells him, he, you're just like me, right? He tries to convince mm-hmm. Batman that they're the same. They're two sides of the same coin. And the difference in that movie is really black and white. They're not, they're not the same. You, he says that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, that's just a line. Like there's there's clear differences between the two of you. You're an agent of chaos. He's a person that's trying to restore order and justice. There's no no similarities between you. This right. this story told in this movie from the very beginning, uh, from our opening scene where it's you know the Riddler is spying on this mayor that he ultimately murders. It's paralleled later on a few scenes later with Batman or is who is spying on Selena who he's developed this obsession over and believes that she's connected to the, you know, potentially finding out some details as to what, what's behind the killing of the mayor of Gotham. But you have these beautiful scenes that are paralleled between, between Batman and the Riddler throughout the, throughout the story. And I don't feel like, I didn't feel like it was done in a way of like, Hey, look at this. They're the same people. Look, Mm -hmm. look, see, look, they're exactly the same, but it's done in such a, such a way that if you're looking for it, if you're looking for the parallels between him and the Riddler, and there's additional parallels that go beyond that. There's parallels between Bruce and Selena. We learned that Selena was an orphan. We learned that Selena's mom was killed. Not all that Mm -hmm. different from the way that Bruce's parents were killed, Um, that she was murdered too. There's parallels between the two of those characters and how, where they, their paths deviate. Um, And it's, it's ultimately, you know, we, we learned that the, the Riddler also keeps a journal and has this obsessive nature of turning into this specific creature. And that ultimately he's inspired by Batman and Batman's journey takes him on from the beginning of the movie where he's literally lurking in the shadows and he's he's known as this shadowy figure. And he feels like this is the best way for him to help the city of Gotham to the end when he comes face to face with uh, in the culmination of the scene, these uh, these people who've been inspired by the Riddler and they're taking over the Gotham Gotham Square Garden and they're going to k- murder all of these people. He comes face to face with this this man who repeats the same line back to him that he's vengeance. And he realizes he's unintended by, by the way that by his own actions, he's unintended, uh, unintentionally inspired this act of 
vengeance throughout the city and he needs to more clearly define what his mission is and he needs to step mm -hmm. into the light in order to do that and then at the end of the movie he's literally in the light helping the people uh visually alongside the authorities in a way that he's more visible and he's no longer in the shadows i feel like the the poetry that of the writing from the beginning to the end done through the storytelling not only uh of the the dialogue and the interactions but also in the visuals throughout the movie it's it's just i i felt like it was i was watching poetry like it's so mm -hmm. so good i thought that matt reeves direction was just fantastic in that story he's kind of telling within the story and to really drive home that that plot point of hey these characters are very similar and bruce is very close to teetering on this edge while he has this hard line that he's drawn um which again i think we've talked about this before is pivotal to making the batman a, a hashtag my batman i guess you mm -hmm. know this hard line that he's drawn that he's not going to kill people at the same time he's very he's very close on the edge here he could have gone either way and he realizes that it's not it's not enough to simply not kill people that he needs to alter the way that he does things in a way to uh to better serve his city that he loves so much that his mission can't just be batman lurking in the shadows fighting and knocking the tar out of certain individuals and fighting behind the the fear that he instills in certain criminals that he has to alter this because fear and vengeance um, can can lead to this dangerous example being set where people believe that they can use that to sort of incite this tyrannical uh, behavior towards those that they feel like need justice uh, and and aren't willing mm. to serve it. But I, I I think it's I think it's maybe one of the yes I I don't disagree with you. It's too long. It is not perfect. It is too long. <laughs> I agree with you. I don't know what you would have cut out to 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 make it shorter. Um, I don't think there is much that you could. And I think you're right. It suffers from the fact that nowadays, especially our generation is conditioned to being able to take a breather and, you know, between acts sort of, uh, you know, 13, 12 or 13 episodes of a, of a Netflix show versus mm -hmm. a, a three hour movie. We're definitely okay with that, but sitting in a theater for three hours and not being able to pause and you're paying, you know, $25 for it plus, <laughs> plus your snacks, it's just a different experience. So it does suffer from that. I think that there are, it is a little slow in, in certain places, but I absolutely loved the movie as a whole. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Yeah, I think I think you nailed a lot of that on the head. There's yeah, there's one of the things and this is this goes back to again, you talk about like the visual storytelling of not 
you know, holding up a magnifying glass to it, but just there's several scenes and this is, this is cool for a couple different reasons. One, because I've never seen a live action Batman try to take on this look, but there's several scenes where someone will just look and it will be this, you'll just see like, it looks just like a, just this just utter blackness. It's just complete shadow. And then all of a sudden Batman sort of just steps out of it. And it's yep. like, that's, that's a very classic thing. You see it in the, you know, in the comics all the time, you see it in, in every animated show, I think that's ever done. Batman has had at least one moment where he does that. And he, you know, it's the silhouette sort of slowly coming out of the shadow. And, and then as you mentioned there at, you know, towards the end, even, even there, there are a few scenes where he, you know, he, he's on the rooftop with Selena at one point and they're speaking and, and it's sort of the sun is still up, but, at that point they kind of backlight it. So he's still completely in darkness. So that's like, there's that theme of him being in the dark and kind of lurking in the shadows the whole time, which then culminates in him lighting that flare and leading the people to safety at the end and realizing that he, he can't just be, you know, a boogeyman for the bad people. Right. Um, because if you, if you rule by fear, good people will be afraid of you too. Yep. Um, and that's even seen, as you mentioned, in that first scene where he he beats up the, the gang in the subway and the person that the gang was mugging looks at him in utter terror and, and begs him not to hurt him. Yep. Um, whereas at the end, when he's, you know, he's assisting a, a, a woman onto a to, to be airlifted out by a helicopter and she's like gripping his hand and like touches his arm. And it's like this moment where he's now sort of seen more as a savior and as someone that can that can be a leader and be, as you said, it's more of a public facing leader as opposed to this just angry, angry man in the shadows who punches bad guys. Well, and you see it, you see it also in the relationship that he has with the officials, everybody, you know, for Gordon, uh, by the way, Jeffrey Wright, Je uh, Jim Gordon, I think is the best portrayal. I've, uh, he's, he's, a, he's, he's spot on. No one should, I think they should retire the Jim Gordon character after <laughs> him. Cause I don't think that anybody's ever portrayed that character in a way that I felt was authentic in the way that he did. It's so good. He's so good in this movie, but absolutely. Uh, you know, his Jim Gordon is the only person that truly has this relationship established, which obviously is a, is a well-established thing in comics, generally speaking, but you know, the, the cops look at him with disdain and it's not just be, it's not just the cops that are, that are corrupt. It's the cops that aren't corrupt too, that look at him as just sort of this outsider. Don't know why he needs to come in and infringe on their business, police business. And um, at the end of the movie, you look and see in that same scene where he lights this flare, he reaches, his hand out to to kind of help these people that are trapped and you see this look that the the mayor elect gives him and she just looks at him for a second and there's a slight hesitation and then she just reaches out and she grabs his hand too and you can tell like all right this is the moment that she's coming to realize that all right this is an asset that we can use to help to help Gotham. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, so I, I love that. Yeah. The, the trajectory of, I think there was some storytelling in those scenes too. If you look at it, as we said, in that very first scene that Batman appears, he's completely in, in black shadow and darkness gradually throughout the film. There's different scenes that take place in this building where they have the bat signal. Uh, you know, the next scene that he meets with Gordon, it's still at nighttime. The next scene after that, it's like sort of at, at, at sunset maybe with Gordon. Then there's the scene with Catwoman where it's twilight or, or it's sun, sunrise. Maybe it's a little bit right, brighter, not quite bright 
completely bright and then at the end of the movie like like we've said he's completely out in the open there and it's this beautiful trajectory of just all right this is this character he's realizing that living in the shadows is not gonna not gonna work from now on i think the only thing that i that i feel like they could have uh better done because i feel like they're done done a little bit better and maybe that's for a sequel that He's clearly, uh, and some of that I think maybe was done in his relationship with Alfred. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, I love your thoughts. I love your thoughts on this. So they they did do the the long Halloween um, story point where where Thomas Wayne had saved uh, Carmine Falcone from uh, a bullet wound, and because of that, there's this relationship that uh, happens because between Thomas Wayne and Carmine Falcone. Uh, later on, uh, this is a huge spoiler plot, part of the, the plot of the movie, but uh, Thomas Wayne was running for mayor and there was a, a reporter by the name of Elliot, by the way. I didn't know if you caught that last uh-huh. name, last name, Elliot. Well, if you uh, didn't catch the Elliot, did you catch the j- word hush in all caps immediately yes. afterward? <laughs> Giant spray painted word hush <laughs> across the screen. Yeah, that was that was a little bit obvious. But uh, just in case you missed that, the name of the reporter was Elliot. And uh, so th- this reporter has this information that Martha Wayne was uh, perhaps mentally ill and spent time in uh, different uh, different mental health treatment facilities over her life. And uh, Thomas Wayne thought that this might affect his uh, elect- electability or chance of being elected. So he offered to pay him off. It didn't work. So then he contacts Carmine Falcone in an attempt to, uh, as Carmine Falcone put it, put the fear of God into him. And uh, Carmine Falcone retells this to Bruce in a very interesting scene that also parallels Bruce's entry into the murder scene uh, very, very well. There's some great, Mm -hmm. great callbacks in that scene to this very opening scene of Batman uh, where he's walking down this hall. Just poetry in motion. Loved it. But he he tells him that uh, he killed this reporter. He had this reporter killed because his father basically asked him to. And then he also uh, he also says that uh, that Maroney, the other mob boss, Falcone and Maroney, man, those names confuse me all all day long. (laughs) I swear. I was like, did he say which way, which one killed him? So he he implies that Maroney had Thomas Wayne killed because he felt like at this point, Thomas Wayne was in Falcone's pocket. Um, So Bruce is having this existential crisis where he goes to Alfred, who's been who's in the hospital and kind of shakes him down. But we we don't really my point being that we don't really see him, I don't think, come to realization that Bruce is a is an important part of this character too Mm -hmm. to to serve the city like we see sort of a trajectory where. He's very reclusive. He doesn't want anything. He doesn't, you know, Alfred is begging him to come out of the cave and make a public appearances and have interactions with people. And he, Bruce does not want to be Bruce Batman. He, he wants to be Batman. Mm-hmm. He wants to only spend his time uh, being the detective and focusing on what's going on. Uh, so later on, I think we learn that some of that is because Bruce doesn't, it's, it's a scar for Bruce, the name, trying to you know think about and people he cares about if he's bruce there are people that he cares about and then that's it that's a problem mm-hmm. he doesn't want to face that fear again and then of course he comes to realize that alfred uh, is has been a father to him in a way that maybe selena didn't have a parent um that sort of put him on a path to become batman and sort of 
shows you the difference between those two characters in that way. But I, I feel like he didn't quite, at least it wasn't blatantly obvious that he realized that there's a place for Bruce Wayne to help the city as well, that he's his, his influence can still be used in a positive way to complement what he can do as Batman. Some of it may be in the dialogue, but I, I feel like that maybe that was a point mm-hmm. that, that could have been touched on to maybe have the character move an additional step forward, but maybe I'm nitpicking. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I thought I did think that that whole bit of Alfred being, being caught in the explosion and then being in the hospital and, and, and all of that was a little, little that felt that was maybe the only part that felt super abrupt to me. Um, mm-hmm. Cause you have that scene. Then you have the scene that you already talked about, which is very good between uh, John Turturro as Falcone is very good in this too. Oh, he's great. He's um, great. And, uh, you know, they have this scene where he, you know, he sort of paints this picture of who Thomas Wayne is to him. And, uh, and, and then he goes to Alfred to say, you know, to get, as you said, sort of shake him down. Why didn't you tell me about this? Why didn't you tell me, you know, that my father, you know, cause that, that I think that's an essential point that you've maybe seen touched on in things like long Halloween. It's uh, it's a pretty big plot point of the, if anyone's played the telltale Batman games mm-hmm. um, of this idea of like, well, if, if the Waynes weren't who they said they were, if they weren't these ideal, idealistic, you know, perfect people that that little Bruce made this vow to, then what has all of this been about? And so to see him struggle with that a little bit more maybe would have added to that. Right. Um, and instead, it's sort of he he gets that message. He goes to Alfred in the next scene and is told, actually, no, Falcone killed killed your father, not Maroni. And, you know, your father never asked him, you know, your father had a moment of weakness. It wasn't about his political aspirations. It was about, you know, it was about protecting your mother and, and, and all of that. And I think all of that is good in a vacuum, but maybe that's something you could have left as a loose end. Like maybe Alfred doesn't regain consciousness in this movie or just does right at the end. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of leave that as something dangling for, for a sequel. Maybe. Yes. Yeah, so maybe you could argue that's the way you could shave you know, eight or ten, eight or ten minutes off this movie. But again, I would hate to lose that that scene. I think you could still do the bit where Alfred gets hurt and and uh, and Bruce goes and sees Falcone because I do think that scene's wonderful and and it would sort of add to that weight of, again, as you said, of Bruce being this guy who could still go the other way and still could lose himself in this in this war that he's fighting and. Uh, and as you said, it, it all kind of cut the, so that, that when I was standing, I do think that it is, it is very good because there is the moment once the Riddler is captured where he and Batman are speaking and, and Riddler is sort of laying it out to him that, oh, we did this together. You're just like me. And Batman is sort of horrified by that. And it, it and, and in turn, the Riddler is horrified to hear that, that Batman doesn't want anything to do with him or doesn't, doesn't believe that they were fighting for the same things. And, and uh and it's it's yeah so that that theme of, of of who of what exactly he's doing all of this for uh i think is is it really comes back throughout the whole movie but yeah i i kind of i'm kind of with you there that maybe the the alfred uh point of of that scene maybe is it's kind of glossed over very quickly where you go where you learn oh maybe thomas wayne wasn't such a great guy well he did this one bad thing, but he was still a good guy. It's, 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 it's interesting. And I think it's a topic that should be, that should and could be explored a lot more. And, 
and the Riddler is still alive at the end of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and specifically, um, there's a moment where it appears that maybe he's learned Batman's identity, but then you you figure out that he doesn't, and he's made it very clear that you know Bruce Wayne is the one the one that got away from him from him. So maybe in a in a potential sequel, we could see you know more of that side of it explored. But yeah, I think that's that's something that I, I would have liked to have seen either be a bigger part of the movie or you press pause on that and you wait until the next movie to deal with all of it. Instead, we kind of dealt with some of it now, but not all of it. And that maybe leaves you feeling a little glass half empty on that stuff. Agreed. Um, And you sort of, I guess we'll transition now. Um, We can still, of course, hit things that we liked and didn't like. I will say that maybe one of the most interesting things I like that they didn't kill the Riddler. I feel like too often mm-hmm. in comic book movies in a rush to either satisfy a plot point or, you know, perhaps explain away why this character isn't the threat in the next movie. Also you kill them. It's like, a, it's like a comic book movie thing that's been happening since mm-hmm. like Batman 89, essentially like, Oh, well the Joker's dead there. We're going to kill everybody. I guess Nolan didn't technically kill the Joker, but of course he didn't appear in the Dark Knight Rises for obvious Mm -hmm. reasons. Um, So, but it just seems like a thing that is expected at this point is that the villain is probably going to die. So you don't have to worry about them and Batman can move on to something else in the next movie. So I will say it was refreshing that uh, Edward Nashton, as he's known in this movie, which by the way, I I think that, uh, I think he was it's hard because his portrayal was behind a a voice modulator like his Mm -hmm. voice voice disguiser and behind a mask and as we've already said most of the um, most of his actual characterization was in brief um, in brief periods throughout the movie Um, but I think Paul Dano's uh, a portrayal of him actually was, was, was pretty strong. I like that. He was sort of the whole idea is he's QAnon, right? Like for mm-hmm. the most part, like it's QAnon with a hint of like anarchist or I think there were some, I feel like, like it was elements of like the, like the Zodiac killer and, and things like that. And there, as far as his aesthetic goes, but as far as his, his sort of manifesto of yes, there's all these of trying to uncover the, you know, the secrets of and machinations of, of politics and, and all of that. Yes, that's definitely leading pretty hard into that. I did that feel also the that there was I, I didn't feel like it was completely, though, I didn't. I, and you can take or, or leave this because I feel like some people will say, well, they tried to say something without saying anything. I did feel like there, there were additional elements of both sides, I guess. I think mainly it was a it was a QAnon-esque style like oh we're on the fringe society of that sort of right-wing extremism but I also felt like that there was some left-wing extremism mixed in with it also with just the general idea of we need you know rich people or shouldn't be trusted and yes you know the the people that empower happen to all be white people not that that was part of what the Riddler was saying but there was I, I didn't feel like it was preaching one specific vision of who the villain was in this you know i didn't feel like they villainized one political party in this i think there's certainly touches and if you're if you land on one side or the other i think you can look at it and say oh they're mocking that party 
where they're mark- mocking my party if you so choose to. But I didn't feel like it was politically divisive for for that, for those reasons, which was I was perfectly OK with. I was perfectly OK with using those real life <laughs> things, um, but I, I didn't feel like it at any point took me out of the movie to say, oh, this was a, a platform or a soapbox to talk about one thing or the other. However, back to Paul Dano's performance, I do appreciate the fact that once he's unmasked, he looks like sort of a like you would imagine like an incel or like somebody that would be, you know, mm-hmm. that that he's this he looks like a little boy. Like he just has, you know, he has got this haircut and he's pale skinned. He's got these glasses. He looks, you know, kind of what you would imagine a nerd would look like. And his interaction with Batman in that scene, um, I thought was great. I thought his he doesn't get a whole lot to do for the the prior part of the movie, but I feel like most people because of the setting are going to try and compare that to the Heath Ledger Joker scene. And mm-hmm. I thought he, he held his own. If you're going to do comparisons uh, between those two scenes, because I, I feel like for what he needed to express in this, uh, in this version of this Riddler character, him having this, uh, this idea that he and Batman truly are working together on the same mesh mission for him to be delusional, delusional enough to see that, think that they're on the same team and that he's simply taking Batman's uh, already established vision and, and continuing it um, to Batman's uh, horrifying realization uh, is, was, was great. And then the, when, at the end, when he realizes that he, Batman hasn't quite figured out the entire plot yet with involving flooding Gotham, mm-hmm. um, you know, with, with knocking down the seawalls, I thought was great too. Cause he has this realization where he, and we talked about actually this week on our, on our episode uh, that we reviewed on our standard episode that the, like the core of the Riddler is that mm-hmm. he thinks he's the smartest man in the room. He thinks that he's smarter than Batman. And when he feels like he is, it just adds an extra layer of just evil to that character. Cause he's like, ha, I got one over on you. You didn't quite figure it out just yet. You're not as even says you're not as smart as I thought you were. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting mix of like, because at this point you kind of see that again, he, he sort of idolizes Batman in a strange way Mm -hmm. um, and think, and thinks like that they're, they're working together. They're working for the same goals. Um, so there's like a little twinge of disappointment in it, but also he then sort of goes right back to gloating of this idea of like, oh, I thought we, we the two of us could be here safe while it all went down, but I guess you've got to go out and, you know, and, and stop. So like there is that sort of air of like uh, superiority returns to him after that, that sort of disappointment in, in the fact that Batman isn't quite, quite what he thought he was. So yeah, I, I think that is interesting. And that's also an element that I think, and, uh, based on, uh, and this is probably the biggest possible spoiler anyone could care about. So I'll give one final warning here. Uh, we see there the tease for the sequel is the Riddler uh, talks to a gentleman in a cell next to him in Arkham Asylum who has a big smile and an infectious laugh. He's uh, unnamed Gotham prisoner. What are you talking about? That's right. what the credits who, say. Who unnamed Gotham be? prisoner. Who could that possibly be? Right. But. Um, <laughs> but uh yeah we we get this feeling of uh, that, that, that there's more story to tell with with the riddler but yeah it's it's really it's really interesting to see him sort of return to that 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 sort of smug superiority that that is if i had one complaint i do like a little bit more of a gimmicky riddler like i like the guy in the suit with the 
<laughs> with the cane and all of that. So I, I would like to see that. And that's maybe as we, as we start looking to things, things on our little uh, fanboy wish list for a potential sequel to this movie. But, um, but seeing that, I, th- I think what this is doing, and it's something, again, we talked about when we reviewed the animated long Halloween movies, and um, it's sort of telling the story in addition to how Batman becomes sort of the Batman we all know. Um, it's also telling that story sort of like the long Halloween comic does and like the animated movie does of how we're making this transition from the mob bosses. You know, Maroney's already been taken down when the movie starts. Falcone dies in this movie um so you sort of have you know all that's left now is going to be these really deeply unhinged people you do have the penguin still as a player on left on the board sort of as the heir apparent to the to the crime families so to speak but then you you get this feeling with this riddler and and joker scene that it's like oh there this is this is the time where uh, you know where we will get that transition away from from the guys in in suits with Tommy guns and into the the really crazy gimmicks and and how as as we've sp- spoken about quite a bit and how there is that eternal question of is Batman drawing these people to Gotham like is he you know is he hurting the city in ways by you know these these crazy people with these gimmicks and and personality disorders all are they, are they sort of attracted to him and and his gimmick and that's what causes them to do these you know incredibly violent and outlandish things so i feel like we're we're kind of juggling a few things there as, and and this movie is is kind of all about uh you know kind of setting up that transition away from the gangsters and mobsters to the the super villains yeah yeah um I, so first thoughts on the joker mine i like i know matt reeves i was just reading before we started matt reeves has come out and said he's not sure if the joker would be in the second film it seems that this is if i feel like it almost felt like a contractually obligated easter egg for us (laughs) to set up a second scene and maybe this is matt reeves sort of revenge saying hey like yeah i kind of put him in there and i know i think he's also said that there was originally a, more scenes uh, with his mysterious unnamed arkham prisoner but I, you know i would almost much rather see at this point we've had joker and the dark knight we had a solo joker movie um you know i feel like at this point we've told a lot of joker stories and a lot of them mm-hmm. have been very good but and not to be a Batman snob, but there are other villains out there. As we've proven from this movie, you don't have to have a colorful clown be the main antagonist of a movie to have a, a good Batman story. Um, there are, are many, many stories in the Batman library if you want to go go back and look at them and tell. Uh, you know, we've we've talked about several of them on on episodes of of the DCA you review of stories that you can tell that don't involve the Joker. Um, are there great Joker stories? Yeah, absolutely. But I I feel like I almost internally rolled my eyes when I was like, <laughs> not a please not the Joker. <laughs> no, I think that's that's a fair critique. We have seen a lot of that character, a lot of different really talented actors have brought you know interesting takes to that character on tv in animation in movies so it is a little bit like what could this version do that would really feel like super fresh and 
would even if it, and again it's not that's not a fault of the actor playing him or sure. you know I, I i'm not saying that there couldn't be a very good story told in this world with that character but i just i just yeah you wonder it's like gosh you know nobody's it's been a long time since somebody's taken a crack at like a mr freeze it's been a long time since somebody's uh, you know, nobody's ever tried to take a crack at like a serious crack at like a Clayface or a Mandat or some of these other characters. Uh, right. Um, I mean, we got we got Two Face for three and a half minutes in the the Nolan film, but right. there's a lot of yeah, there's a lot of I think interesting, colorful characters that you could that you could absolutely draw on before you had to get to a Joker. So, you know, at the very least, you know, I think it would be interesting if they do go to that in a sequel um maybe you set it up as like you introduce like a hugo strange or somebody mm-hmm. um that that like, it's like another side is like you know the doc obviously the arkham the arkham games kind of take a, a lot of that of, of him sort of being a a puppet master who's sort of egging these these various super villains on in different ways and kind of being a little bit of that so like i i i guess if you're gonna do a joker i'd like to see it be not not be the main bad guy like i think it's fine to have a it's fine to have a joker in this world but i don't really i'm not chomping at the bit to see him be you know the guy who pulls focus for the you know the umpteenth film in a row so sort uh, of like how maybe they handled him in mask of the phantasm where Mm -hmm. he plays a part if you want to but it's not it's he's literally a piece of the puzzle that leads to the I, I mean, and let me just say, Matt Reeves did a great job of doing that. I think we've talked about that already. He had a lot of pieces. He, When you look at it, we haven't even talked about Colin Farrell's Penguin yet. The Penguin in this movie was, I, I went into it assuming that it was going to be just so distracting to kind of see <laughs> Colin Farrell either. I don't know how much weight he actually gained for this role or of how much of it was prosthetics, but man, absolutely unrecognizable and he had the mm-hmm. just the I, I felt he had the just the right amount of ham for the character to be to feel authentically like new york gangster which is what he was playing without being distracting this character as a caricature um what did you feel of of the penguin in this role yeah he's a lot of fun like he's uh, and this is this is another movie that I think uh, it doesn't have a lot of like quips or or jokes in a traditional sense, but there is there are humorous moments. You've already I think we've kind of lightly touched on it. There's a lot of interactions between Batman and the non-Gordon cops that are funny, and sort of just the you know him being this stern, silent guy around all of these people who are just looking at him like he's insane. I think is funny, but the most like overt humorous moments in this movie come from uh, come from this penguin character from, from Colin Farrell as the penguin. And it's, it's fun. Like he's, yeah. he's a really fun character. And, you know, I, I know a lot of people really love the, the Gotham version of this character or some of the, the video games or some of the other, of course, you know, Danny DeVito or, or Burgess Meredith, some of the other characters, you know, people that have taken a shot at him, but I love the idea of him being, uh, you know, this version of Penguin is always the most interesting to me. The guy who's sort of, he isn't necessarily the, the uh, ironically, uh, kind of the opposite of what I said with the uh, with the Riddler, where he isn't just a guy knocking over banks with with trick umbrellas. Like that's fun, 
but I think having him be sort of this this guy who who kind of acts like a big shot, and then as soon as Batman shows up, he's he's sort of wetting himself and he's and he's terrified. Like he's he's so good in that uh, the car chase sequence, which is also probably the standout action beat of the the whole film, um, where he's he's just so he's just like talking to himself the whole time, and he's and there's this big explosion, and he thinks Batman's dead, and he's so proud of himself, and then the the Batmobile comes flying out of the fire and he's he's so so terrified like he sells that fear of of batman where he's he's really talking a big game and then as soon as as soon as batman sort of starts rearing down on him you can just see his the panic in his face like he's really really tremendous in this and adds adds a lot of levity to it i think too yeah the scene where after right immediately after the car chase scene which as you mentioned yes everything about that scene is great from the music the score i mean the score is just mm-hmm. throughout the entire movie that i think the music is incredible but the the score for that scene is great the action is certainly is certainly probably the heaviest in any scene like you mentioned uh but following up that scene it's this interrogation scene where the, it's sort of bad cop bad cop with with gordon and batman together and the penguin is just is just floored by their what he sees as them being idiots and not being able to speak spanish and understand (laughs) spanish and the fact that he just calls them like he calls them out on that he drops boy aren't you two the world's greatest detectives or something like that (laughs) as a line was like hey they i got that one that's a great reference um yeah he's really fun i know that there's a last i heard and with the movie coming out uh, an increase in articles that apparently there's still a plan to do a a spinoff uh, HBO Max series with Colin Farrell as the Penguin, so uh, we'll probably get more stories or a story told about his rise up the uh, the the ladder of the Gotham organized crime mob. So uh, very interesting. Yeah, I, I think that he he adds a adds a a lighter side and a bit of a bit of comedic relief that doesn't go over the top and doesn't feel distracting at times. It feels pretty natural, but um, it's, it's interesting because I think you look at the the movie from the outside and I think comic book movies sometimes have, have suffered because of this, but when you have too many villains or too many characters that you're Mm -hmm. introducing into a movie, it can feel overstuffed. And maybe sometimes that is it's hampered by runtimes previously being under two and a half hours. And this this that was one thing that benefited this to be able to tell Mm -hmm. more in-depth stories about each of these characters. But I didn't feel like it felt overstuffed. And I felt like that each character was sort of introduced in an organic way that didn't just be like, hey, it's the penguin. Hey, it's Catwoman. Hey, it's the Riddler. (laughs) The only one that I felt like did didn't feel organic was the Joker. But you know, for whatever reason that, like I said, I feel like it was contractually obligated by Warner Brothers and held a yes. gun to Matt Reeves head and said, you got to put the Joker in this. And we got to set up a sequel. But I didn't feel like it felt overstuffed. So I, I feel like that that was another win for this movie and that Catwoman's introduction felt very natural. I felt like the Penguin's introduction and him being this, you know, the second hand to, to Carmine Falcone was was a very natural part and it felt like an organic storytelling piece uh the riddler being involved in this also you know him having the motivation that he did um i I think all of that felt and you have the mob like the mob is the the main Mm -hmm. bad guy in the movie pretty much outside of outside of uh the riddler so you have all these elements that work together i thought very well to together um for, for for that so yeah for maybe for the next movie if you're going to we do have this as a as an example 
Matt Reeves was able to balance all of these moving pieces and not make it feel for me at least like it was overstuffed so perhaps if you do have a a movie that's you know based on perhaps because they took some of the uh, apparently took some of the story plot points from the the war of jokes and riddles and you have mm-hmm. um, you have a, a riddler joker sort of war happening or a turf war happening between different pieces we also i haven't seen much talked about it i saw maybe one or two small comic book articles but there is a part where it appears that batman may introduce venom uh not yeah. not tom hardy's uh <laughs> abnormal alien symbiote not but, that lovely m&m song right no not that one but but venom as in the, the the thing that powers bane and that's sort of that also felt a little weird to me it just kind of came out of nowhere he gets it's in the final battle he gets knocked on his ass and catwoman is being attacked by this one last riddler goon or riddler impersonator Batman has been shot point blank with a shotgun uh, and is trying to recover at this point. And he goes into his utility belt and pulls out this green liquid and jams it into his thigh and suddenly has this burst of energy that is also apparently giving him this rageful, uh, you know, a shot of vengeance that he has to take out on this poor Mm -hmm. Riddler guy's face. So, Maybe that's a plot point for the next movie too. We go into the the Batman Venom storyline where he gets, you know, he gets addicted to Venom as a as a as a plot point there. I don't know, but that mm-hmm. seemed like a very odd that seemed like a very odd like just brief introduction that was not touched <laughs> on, a- acknowledged or or really talked about before or after. Yeah, I cuz if first i was just like oh it's just like a shot of adrenaline or something but it was like day glow green right which i'm not a doctor or a scientist but i'm pretty sure adrenaline is not uh day glow green so right yeah i do think that's worth talking that's definitely you would think would maybe come back and that's and i guess this is we can we can start to wrap up like what we liked didn't like here uh but my other my only other thought to this version of live action Batman. Um, I I don't, and I guess they did kind of, he kind of gets broken down because he gets shot so many times in that final mm-hmm. sequence. But there's multiple sequences here where he's just taken like machine guns to the chest and yeah. and to the back of the head and, and all of this and just like walking. And it's a- He's there's an one explosion sequ- point yes. blank. <laughs> and so- a bomb I do pulls feel... up in the man's face and he doesn't yes. have a he doesn't have a bloody nose or a or a scar <laughs> to show for it at all. But I just I would like to see a Batman with a little bit more finesse in and again, this is a young career Batman, so you can forgive some of it there. Um, but that's always what sticks out to me about the, you know, and I like that scene, the warehouse scene and the the Affleck uh, Batman for Superman is like, there's a shot where a guy grabs a handgun and points it like an inch away from the back of his skull and fires like five times and Batman and like, doesn't even react to it. And I'm always like, well, what, I don't know. Why are you, why are you dodging any gunfire? If you can just, if your suit is complete, right. like, so, so impervious that you don't even like feel the shock of a bullet hitting the back of your skull, which by like bulletproof vests or armor, body armor don't you know, right? Mean that you don't feel a bullet hitting you. So again, and again, they do kind of do that in the last sequence because he gets hit by like, you know, a shotgun to the chest from like an inch away. But there's a lot of him just taking gunfire 
throughout this and kind of shrugging it off as you said shrugging off other uh other uh, uh weaponry as well that i, I would like I'd, I'd like to see batman with a little more finesse and you know and the idea that if because if, if he's just if he just has like a magic suit of armor then it's a little less less interesting to me then i think i think those fight scenes can be more more interesting and and you you introduce more and i think that gives you an excuse also to introduce more gadgets if you you know if he's not able to just take a machine gun to the to the chest whenever he wants like if he has to be a little more uh finesse you know we do see him use like spoke grenades and we he does pull his his emblem off as a what appears to be a batarang um right. but we, he doesn't really throw it at any point so we do we do get to see some some cool gadgets as you mentioned but uh yeah that's maybe that's maybe towards the end of my my list of of complaints and again that's not something that's exclusive to this version of batman but yeah i'd like to see a batman who has to uh you know avoid being shot <laughs> i think yeah. that would be kind of fun and and, it, and again it creates more interesting ways to tell those those stories of why he is so good at this because you know how how he's able to take guys down without even being seen and again you can you can have him now in this new universe graduate to being that guy who is so good at this that nobody can touch him whereas now he's way more of just like a you know a freight train just running straight at everyone but yeah that's that's just kind of something that's bounced around in my head for a while yeah, I, I don't disagree with you there. That that part, uh, it did lead to some very cool visuals. The fact that he was pretty much impervious. Yes. I think the scene where uh, a lot of good elevator tricks in this one and hallway tricks and the ways mm-hmm. that those were shot. But the scene that I think it's actually in the last trailer where he's walking down the, the hallway and uh, you just see him being illuminated by gunfire. This is after he's cut the power. Uh, a very Batman the Animated Series thing I felt cutting the power in the building and then attacking in the shadows. Such a, I mean, it's such a Batman thing. But uh, also the D, I will say this. I actually talked about talked to this briefly with best friend of the show Monica Cubino. But uh, the <laughs> DNA of Batman the Animated Series is firmly in this movie we you know Mm -hmm. uh matt reeves and robert pattinson both mentioned that batman mask of the phantasm was a huge inspiration for them in 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 a lot of the storytelling um i don't think there's too many plot points or or beats that are used but i just think that the way other than maybe just the way this is the first time that we've gotten batman being so not talkative like he's very in almost every scene there's so much incredible acting that Robert Pattinson did with just his eye movements mm-hmm. that uh, he's communicates so much emotion uh, through just the way that he looks at them. And I think looking in the way that he looks in the Batman costume, I'm not sold on him as Bruce Wayne just yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think the way that he looks in the Batman costume, just phenomenal and the way that things were shot the way that he was kind of able to just communicate with his eye movements, the way that he looked at people, things he'd said or didn't say. And a lot of times people would talk to him. He wouldn't acknowledge him. We also get the, the disappearing act. He does that twice where he disappears yes. uh, w- once on Gordon. And then once uh, I forget who the other time he does. Oh, on the, uh, the other police officer when he's discovered mm-hmm. what, what the Riddler's plan is, but we get the disappearing Batman act. Yeah. I don't think we've ever, <laughs> we've ever seen before in uh, well, on film. Oh yeah, and I, I will just mention if I haven't already, like if you talk about like screen time, this has to be the comic book movie with the most time that the actor is in the full costume for Agreed. like like there he is 
there's like two scenes where Bruce Wayne is even really like in a, in a public situation. There's obviously a few scenes where he's in the cave and he's not wearing the cowl, but he still has like the eye makeup on. I love that. They explain that away too. We've had how many live action Batman movies have we Mm -hmm. had where Batman has this black eye makeup around his eyes and it's never been explained. It's like he takes the mask off and it's gone all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. This is the first one that shows that. Yeah. By the way, actually he wears eye makeup around his eyes. Yes. (laughs) And it's fine. Like, like, because it it adds to those scenes where, because again, I think it adds to, and there's actually a moment, and again, another element that obviously I think was borrowed or, or was perfected in Batman, the animated series is sort of that idea that Bruce Wayne, the public figure is, is the act and, you know, who he really is at his core is this Batman um, and there's even the Riddler even says that to him at one point of, you know, everyone wants to unmask you, but I, I can see now that whoever you are under that mask is the real mask or something like that. Right. Um, and so I think they really, I think that, and I think that kind of goes to what you said about Pattinson, not really having a lot to show as Bruce. And I think that's part of, part of that story is that, you know, as, as it's sort of uh, established throughout the movie, this, this Bruce Wayne doesn't really have any kind of public persona and doesn't, you know, he's not doing charity functions or, or or even doing sort of the, you know, what we see Christian Bale doing a couple of times in his movies of being like, just, you know, allowing himself to be viewed as this complete, you know, narcissistic playboy, you know, rich kid, you know, as far as we know, no one really ever sees Bruce Wayne. So, right. Um, so I, it does feel like, and again, maybe that's something that they can tackle in the sequels, him having to sort of develop more of that uh, dichotomy. And again, something that would, again, draw on the the Batman ego book is that, you know, Bruce and Batman are almost unique personalities in, in, in his brain where they have to come together to form one full person because if it's all Batman, that's not good. But if it's, if it's all Bruce, then, you know, then it, that, that doesn't work either. So you have, so I think you, you probably do need to, allow him in the next movie again not something imagine 12 year old liam would be so upset with me that i'm suggesting (laughs) that in the next batman movie there should be a little less batman but uh and more and more bruce wayne but i yeah i do think that could that could be a fun thing to explore in the sequel is him trying to establish himself you know as as a as a public facing bruce wayne and potentially a public facing batman at the same time i think there's there's a really interesting dichotomy that you can play with something that was played with quite a bit in the, in the animated series over the years. Agreed. Absolutely. All right. So we've mentioned a couple of times, things maybe we didn't quite care for. If you had to boil it down and pick your favorite scene, maybe your favorite sequence, do you have one for this movie? Yeah, I think it's the Batmobile chase. I think that's, that's just so, so cool. I love the Batmobile. I love that it's just a car in this movie. Agree. Car with a big jet engine. It's not a tank. It's not like crawling over things. It doesn't have giant machine guns on the front of it. It's a muscle car. That's all it yeah. is. I love it. Um, it it and there's like actual finesse. There's yeah, there's some really incredible camera work. Um, and again, the the physical fighting scenes are, I I really enjoy too um, because. One of the things that I, I often have a complaint with, and I think you could see that in the Nolan movies, is just it's a lot of quick cuts and zooms, and you can almost kind of barely see. It's like, did he kick him? Did he punch him? What happened in that? Right. Like, uh, and here everything is very deliberately shot, where 
you know, it still feels frantic and like it's a fast paced beat, but uh, you know, it feels the, you know, the camera work is outstanding in that in all of the, the action sequences, but especially, I just think that, that uh that car that car chase sequence leading to the giant explosion where penguin thinks he's gotten away with it and then the the batmobile comes roaring out of the flames and you know plows into the penguin's car and then we see this shot of we sort of sort of see penguin's pov of him looking upside down at this all of this fire and then batman sort of slowly walking towards him is just oh that's that's fantastic yeah totally agree i you know, that's probably one a uh, just for just for sake of difference and not rehashing the same things you said. Um, I'll go with I, I I loved every parallel that's in the movies. We said there's uh, you know, you can kind of go through and point out there's three different scenes where he comes to the door of the iceberg lounge and has this interaction with these two <laughs> twins. Um, I, I love, I love the- those guys, by the way. I just so that's great such a Gotham thing. It's like, yeah, of course, the penguin just has two twins as his as his door right i figured it was like it was probably tweedledee and tweedledum but you're not going to call them that it's just right it's just hey there's two twins that or there's a pair of twins that that work for for penguin i love that it's great uh and the different interactions like i said i I really enjoy the the parallels and the cinematography uh, uh cinematography throughout i think is just great i think the use of the the red hues i'd I'd really like to hear an in-depth interview with matt reeves Mm -hmm. if he hasn't done one already about the color palette and why he chose the color red is so prominent in this movie um throughout that it, it stands out i mean he doesn't use it for for every scene but the scene that it punctuates it's very visible and then occasionally you get these shots of blue and then you know like i said that the scenes where the red illuminates the scene are are some of the best shot as he's leading the you know leading the gothamites to safety at the end but the scene that gave me goosebumps both times that i saw it was that final uh, scene in Gotham Square Garden, where uh, the the Riddlers are all on top of the scoreboard and they're they're kind of lined up there, and just as they're about to to seemingly Gordon, Gord, they've already shot the mayor. Gordon has stepped in and he's trying to look to see figure out how he can plan an attack. Um, and they're just about to rain down this gunfire on all of these these people. And there's this explosion that happens uh, from the skylight above. Batman drops in. And there's just this this fight. The music swells. As you mm-hmm. said, we finally get our first, uh, you know, full combat scene kind of since that that warehouse scene from from Batman v Superman. Um, it's not quite daredevil netflix level of <laughs> of of uh of of action but it's it's not not a stranger to that either you get to see a little bit more uh you know f- fighting going on and batman taking on each and one of these goons and then uh, as it progresses he's sort of hanging on the side of the scoreboard and sees what is i guess a fire extinguisher or something and he hits it with he hits it with with something to make it or he hits a little puts a little explosive on it makes it explode so now of course the room is all fogged up or on top of the scoreboard is all fogged up and you have the the riddler goons just kind of standing there with their guns and a very classic batman just jumps out of the fog to attack them and the music swells it like that that whole scene i could probably watch that over and over again and will when this is more readily available (laughs) uh for legally on the internet so uh but yeah i think that that uh that scene is is uh is a great way to end it and 
there's a lot of great scenes in the movie though, that, uh, that are punctuated with some great visuals, but um, all right, Liam, uh, time for just one or two more things here. Uh, what would you, we've already touched on it a little bit. Um, but if you uh, are being consulted by Mr. Reeves here for a sequel, <laughs> uh, what are you looking to see specifically in a sequel to the Batman? Well, I think, I think especially because, of the way this film ends with this sort of brighter, hopeful take. And you, you do have, uh, you know, elements. It looks like maybe they're bringing in a little bit of elements of like a no man's land with how the city sure. is just com- incomplete, you know, disarray the whole, you know, half the city's flooded and the national guards coming in. So, and, and, and all of that. So you, you already have some pieces in place as far as villains. You, again, you can do more with the penguin. You apparently, you know, you theoretically have Riddler and 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 that mysterious fellow. We don't know who it is yeah. uh, in in Arkham there. But number one thing I'd like to see, especially because it looks like they want to take this in a a little bit of a brighter, more hopeful direction, is I want Robin. I want Robin in this world. I would like to see a genuine crack at a kid Robin in this world. Let me ask you this then. Uh, I mm-hmm. went and saw the movie with somebody today and they left with the impression that the mayor who was killed at the beginning, that his son, um, who is a focal point and could it could very well just be Bruce looks at this young son and it's a it, it who is now an or, orphan or without a father um, and sees him sees him as himself. Mm-hmm. But what if instead of your typical Dick Grayson parents dying at the circus, you think there's a chance we see that young man perhaps being the Robin because he was a focal point on mm-hmm. several, at several scenes. And he's the first person that Bruce sort of leads to safety uh, after he's, he's fallen from, from the, uh, the, the roof of the, the garden and, and leads these people out of the, uh, the flooded, flooded floor. Yeah. That, that did kind of cross my mind because yeah, he does, he does show up a, a few times there and, Again, you have the sort of thematic deal of of you know Batman, Riddler, and now this this child are all you know orphans in in different ways and all of that. Um, so yeah, I, I did kind of have that thought. I was waiting for like a, there is a moment where again one of the only scenes where he's out of the costume is when he goes to uh, that kid, the the mayor of Gotham at the time's funeral, and uh, that you know that kid's father and has to like rush to push him out of the way when a car comes plowing into the room um i did have that thought of yeah maybe they could they could do that i i kind of would genuinely like to see if they could make if they could make a go of traditional dick grayson in a a circus robin Mm -hmm. but but i if you're asking me like what do i think there's a way you could make it work with that kid or that version of that kid instead being being all robin yeah i mean that's there's there's a lot of different interpretations of that character just like batman himself so there's no reason it couldn't be but if you're if you're asking in my heart of hearts what i'd like i'd like to see the circus and everything sure sure absolutely yeah i I feel like too often uh as you said we've kind of veered away from that it's either adult chris o'donnell robin from batman forever or it's some guy named robin uh <laughs> in, in in the nolan films but um yeah we don't we haven't actually ever seen the original you know batman becoming this parental figure which actually i think lines up pretty well and it would be weird because you would have to unless this child's mother also dies at some point he still has a mom so it would be weird that bruce is like being the dad to this 
<laughs> that has a mom still. I don't know. Be very. It's not What's the traditional way. Unless he starts dating that kid's mom. Oh, good point. Very good. <laughs> yeah. Um. I. I think for me, I would look at, uh, and I. I guess it will depend on what the the penguin series on HBO Max ends up doing. But mm-hmm. I, honestly, I think looking at more of that that's Batman fighting against a a less colorful more grounded just because I, I i i think i think that story is interesting with the fringes like you said if you're going to bring the joker in if he's if matt reeves is painted into a corner here by wb executives <laughs> and has to have the joker here in a sequel then uh, i'm with you in that he shouldn't be the main focus and he he can be a player in it but we don't need an origin story and that's i applaud them this whole story we didn't get an origin story we got a little bit of an origin story for the Riddler. We learned about his backstory, but it's not an origin story. You know, something crazy didn't happen to him in the middle of this plot that turned him into the Riddler. You know, he's kind of already established. Right. All of our char- characters are pretty much pre-established and we kind of learn their backs a little bit about them as we go along, which I'm much rather uh, at this point see uh, when it comes to superhero movies, just because origin films, I feel like <laughs> waste so much time with with telling the origin story yeah. um, that it that it it doesn't allow you as much time to to see the culmination of of the story itself. So, I think um, I think Batman versus a peng you know the Penguin maybe is is going up against somebody else, another mobster. Maybe we get Black Mask or mm-hmm. or somebody. We get these other gangster type characters that we've seen in in Batman storytelling before that are trying to sort of uh, all trying to battle for different territory and Batman having to figure out, you know, as Bruce Wayne, how can he use his influence to to better the city and but also is is wrestling with whether or not the city itself is actually able to be saved because that is something at the end is as batman and catwoman sort of part ways and she heads to uh bloodhaven gets a name drop by the mm-hmm. way that was very interesting uh so if we do go dick grayson route 50 years from now we can finally get a night <laughs> nightwing movie but uh yeah so as they part ways she admonishes him to to give up hope like that this is a hopeless endeavor that he's not he's he's going to die they're going to kill him and he's going to mm-hmm. die and it's going to be a failure because it's it's just not the city is too far gone. So Batman may be wrestling with that idea that maybe the city is too far gone and, and that he can't he can't do enough. There's not enough that he as one man can do. Um, and maybe that would lead into, you know, uh, adopting somebody into the, into the bat family mm-hmm. or looking at in at other routes to adopt people into a bat family. I'm, I'm all on board for that. So new Batman stories, things that we maybe haven't seen on, on the screen before characters we haven't seen on the screen before, because uh, Batman has such a deep rogues gallery and, and, uh, and, and uh, certainly roster of, of allies that we've never seen on, on the silver screen before. So yeah, bring, bring me some fresh storytelling here. So uh, with, with, with the same elements that I've known my entire life. So just <laughs> tell a new story, but do the thing that makes me love it and feel familiar. Absolutely. <laughs> love the balance of that. All right. Uh, last but not least, Liam, do you have a hot take from this movie? I mean, it could be about the movie itself. It could be about this in comparison to other movies. Um, what's your hottest The Batman take? Yeah, I, th- I th- gosh, this is hard. Because um, I think 
I think it may be what we've already touched on, but I think my hottest take is that I I want like a <laughs> a spandex or like cloth bat suit. <laughs> okay. Um, and that I want to see, I want to see more finesse and like, I understand again, visually, as you mentioned, there's the sequence where the lights go out in the nightclub and the only, the only light is from the guns, you know, bounce the bullets bouncing off of his, uh, off of his suit is very, very cool. But I think, yeah, I would like to see, let's see that armored up suit get damaged and he has to go to like a, a more stripped down, like, uh. Uh, spandex suit in the next one that's my uh, that's my big that's my big home run swing all right mine my so here's my hottest take and it's i probably should wait i don't know a month or two before i, I make this take because after you get it, the adrenaline of watching a movie you always feel like man that was actually great i love that that's the best mm-hmm. thing i've ever seen i will say i liked ben affleck as batman uh, I, I think he did a fine job. Mm-hmm. I think, I think that everybody that has gone in to a movie hating the idea of that actor playing Batman, hopefully has been proven wrong. That that's not the case. <laughs> uh, it, because there's been several controversies as we know by now, it's an established thing, sure. but I, I think, I think I'm ready to declare Robert Pattinson as the Batman character himself, again, not mm-hmm. Bruce Wayne. I think that he is the best portrayal on the screen of the Batman character. Wow. Um, I, I think that people that love Michael Keaton as Batman <laughs> love it because of the nostalgia and because of the, the time that they saw it. And, and the reason sure. why I don't think that Batman is, is, is a good Batman. Like if your Batman smiles, um, he also uh, does some murders, by the way. I mean, Affleck caught the majority of the flack for the murders, but Keaton Batman is a, he's a psychopath as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, and don't get me wrong. I like Michael Keaton. I like those. I like those. Batman 89 is, is a fine movie. It's fun. Batman returns is a weird movie, but it's fun. (laughs) Um, and and even Batman Forever, Val Kilmer is is okay as Batman, but I mm-hmm. I don't think when I think of Batman, I think of those actors playing Batman, and I think the best compliment that I can give to Robert Pattinson is that I didn't think that that was Robert Pattinson in a Batman suit. For me, every <laughs> time I saw it, and some of it is probably because he wasn't out of the suit very much, as we've already yes. established. Because there's so much Batman in this, you just start seeing Batman. And like I said, some of the other subtle things, the way that he was able to communicate without saying anything, the looks in his eyes, the way that he, he that he moved his eyes, just some of the general... I, it's hard to figure out how you can emote mm-hmm. with when you, half of your face is covered, <laughs> you know, but Absolutely. I feel like, I feel like he did that uh, extremely effectively. So that's my hot take. Battinson is the best live action Batman to date. I, I like that. And I, I will, I don't know if I'm willing to come sign on that yet, just yet as I've only, I've only just seen it, you know, an hour or so ago, but uh, I, I will add, he's got the best Batman voice of any live action Batman, I think, because a lot of the other Batman didn't really try to do a lot to differentiate their, mm-hmm. their voices um, before I would say like the 89 through 97 Batman didn't really. Right. Um, and then you had the Christian Bale 
uh, portrayal, which has been, you know, lampooned and kind of made fun of. And it's like, I think it works for those movies because Christian Bale really commits to it. In, in he's right. Weird, but it became snarling. almost a parody of itself. Yeah. Right. By, yeah. By the third movie when he's doing it, you're like, everyone knows you're Bruce Wayne. Just talk, talk normal. Right. Like when he's talking to Gordon at the end, it's like, they, he knows, like, you're, all right, whatever. But, uh, or when he's talking to Lucius and he's still doing the voice, it's like, he knows you're Bruce Wayne. You don't have to do the voice. Right. But, um, but just like and those subtle ways that it kind of like when he's when he's sort of talking to Celine, like there's a scene where Selena goes into the nightclub and he sort of has like an earpiece where he's sort of coaching her where to go and who to talk to and all this stuff. And he's kind of doing the rasp. And then as she kind of has this moment where she she kind of freaks out because she comes across Falcone and he's and like the voice completely drops and it's just him speaking in kind of the, the regular uh bruce wayne voice and he's like he, i love the idea that he's he, you can still tell that he's putting on that sort of grittier whispery voice but that it's not it's not such a such a silly like over the top thing where it's just more of it's just like more more of an aura he's trying to give off in the way he speaks and the volume at which he speaks more than it being like a you know a a traditional you know binary switch of the bat you know of a uh of the the regular voice and the and the snarling gritty growly batman voice so yeah i i like that uh i think he's got probably the best live action batman voice today and i'll go that far and i think that the bat his Batman with Zoe Kravitz's Catwoman is they have incredible chemistry, despite just maybe that was the other thing in the story. If we're going to nitpick felt a little rushed, which always feels rushed. It's like, why all of a sudden is Zoe Kravitz kissing Batman? It made (laughs) sense. I felt like on the Batman side, because he clearly became the, the parallel was his obsessive nature over Catwoman developing so quickly mirroring the Riddler's uh, obsession with, you know, with, uh, with these uh, serving justice and mm-hmm. how obsessive Batman can be as a character uh, and why sometimes that can, de- you know, divulge or devolve into right. unhealthy behaviors. And, but- his, and his sort of loneliness that we, we sort of established, he, he's, you know, he's keeping you know, even Alfred at arm's length, but doesn't really have any sort of, no, certainly not any sort of like physical love or touch or anything coming his way in a long time. So like it kind of, yeah, it definitely makes more sense on the the Batman side why he's, you know, more enamored with her. And and yeah, it's she's, but she seems sort of, and, and I think in other versions, maybe you play that up as she's sort of aware of that attraction and uses it against him. But here it's more played as more of a traditional romance. Yeah, she's great. I don't know if we spent enough time talking about how good she she's is. She's fantastic. She's phenomenal. Um, and I think you're right. I think you did mention that she uh, perfectly kind of encapsulated that Selena Kyle. She's, uh, I'll, I'll make a bold statement too. She's she's the best on-screen cat woman uh, that, on the silver screen that we've seen. So I was, uh, again, as far as translating comic page to screen, I don't think any anything has done better as far as capturing certain vibes and aesthetic, certain visual things. And, and again, certainly that's in the performances as well. Um, I don't think anyone has quite captured it the way that these, these actors and directors and cinematographers have. Absolutely. All right, William. Well, that will begin to wrap things up.
we, I would say, uh, if you're given this, uh, if this was a standard episode, we would say rewatchability. Uh, it's, I think at this point, it's just a recommendation. Obviously, if you're listening to this, hopefully you've watched the movie because we all we did was talk about spoilers and major plot points. <laughs> so hopefully you've seen this, um, but we would love your feedback. Tweet us at DCAU Review or comment uh, on our posts on Instagram at DCAU Review. Give us your thoughts of the Batman. Uh, hey, slide into our DMs too if you want to keep the spoilers a secret. We'd love to discuss spoilers with you, so we can chat that way if you so so uh, so desire. But yeah, we'd love to hear your thoughts. And if you haven't seen it, I would say this is a I I recommend this movie. Uh, two thumbs up. What about you, Liam? Absolutely. I think yes. If you if you love Batman comics, if you love Batman the animated series, which I have a feeling you might if you're listening to this, <laughs> um, there's a lot of stuff that I think, like I said, has just never really been attempted or at the very least never really successfully translated from a comic page or you know, an animated scene um, the way this is from, you know, like, well, like we've talked about the aesthetic of the city, uh, you know, the portrayal of Selena Kyle, Batman himself, like there's just Gordon again. Yeah. Can't say enough good things about Jeffrey Wright. Uh, the, the score is, is really, really fantastic. Uh, Michael Giacchino, I believe I might be uh, butchering that pronunciation. So I apologize if I am, but uh, just fantastic fantastic stuff um i want to i want to listen to the whole soundtrack now that i've i've seen the movie and and really really dive deep into it but uh, just the, the main character themes of of batman and and catwoman and and uh, even the riddler theme i think are all really really tremendous and really just add to that that sense what we talk about all the time that that, that shirley walker and and lolita romanis and some of those other tremendous composers that worked on the animated stuff we're so good at, which is just adding to whatever emotion that the scene is trying to make you feel the music is there to sort of reinforce that. And that's such a, such a hats off to him as a, as a composer. Absolutely. Yeah. We could have probably spent another hour talking about the music. Um, but yeah, definitely worth a, worth a listen. And, and every scene that needed it is punctuated um, in a way that just gives, gives goosebumps and makes you, it makes you, it's great at making you emote what it needs you to emote. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's great. Um, hats off. Also, I will say uh, if you were on the fence about Matt Reeves as a director, hopefully this uh, you know, if you haven't seen his prior work, this will give you a little taste just how mm -hmm. talented of a director this guy is it also encourages for me uh regardless of what role he has in it but we know that he's credited as a producer on the new batman cape crusader show mm -hmm. so regardless of whatever role it is if he has his finger even just as little as pinky finger in the batman cape crusader show um i i think that that's uh this this lent me to say hey this franchise is in great hands especially when you look at the the herculean task he had following <laughs> up such a universally loved and heralded nolan trilogy to then finally take yes we've had batman since since then in in the snyder verse but a, a solo batman film was not attempted uh in the way that this one has so uh hats off to him too i'm excited to see uh you know what his his future uh, dabbling in the dc universe uh leads to so well, lots of great stuff there absolutely yeah it's it's nice to have a movie where it feels like you know the the director the writers the, the cinematographers the actors had a had a strong idea of a story a specific story they wanted to tell 
and then they got to tell it it didn't feel like well it's been x amount of years and for you know warner brothers stock purposes we need to fart out a batman movie like it <laughs> felt like this was a this was a very specific story told with this character and using a lot of elements as we've you know keep coming back to that just really hadn't been attempted to be adapted into a live action story before there you go. All right, Liam. Well, that will begin to wrap things up. As we said, please give us some feedback. Uh, continue the conversation on social media. Uh, we'd love to interact with you and hear your thoughts on The Batman. If you've seen it, don't forget, follow us on social media at DCAU Review. If you like the podcast, thank you so much for listening. Whether if this is your first time listening, we, of course, do reviews. We, of course, do reviews of DC Animated Universe, of course, starting with the Batman, the animated series, going all the way up through Justice League Unlimited on a weekly basis. New episodes drop on Saturday on your favorite podcast app on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, all the normal areas there, but also available on the Pod Tower on YouTube, where you may be listening to this also. So if you were listening to this on YouTube, or maybe if you just want to support us, you can go over to youtube.com slash the pod tower and subscribe to uh, the channel there. You not only get great content from us, but some content from our friends over at Tim talk, which also discusses animated Batman um, and, uh, and that whole DC animated universe and the watchtower database who, uh, who have an entire channel devoted not only to that stuff, but also DC as a whole. So check Mm -hmm. that out, Liam, we have an exciting 200th episode dropping later this week where we will be talking about, not Raz al Ghul, but Ra's al Ghul. So a huge two-part episode that we'll be reviewing this Saturday as a part of our 200th episode. It's a great kickoff to the week here with our review. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to talking that episode with you this Saturday. Absolutely. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. We, we love doing the show. We love talking with each other about this stuff. And uh, of course, most importantly, we love talking with all of you. So definitely want to leave us a comment or yeah, shoot us a shoot us a message if we if you want to talk spoilers or whatever about this. Um, And then, yeah, definitely let us know uh, what you thought of our show. And uh, hopefully everybody will be joining us uh, this coming Saturday on our 200th episode. Can't wait. Until then, I'm Cal. And I'm Liam. And we'll talk to you on the 200th episode of the DCAU Review. Bye-bye.